is it about a woman being unapologetic about her dreams and her drive, operating in excellence and having high standards that people find so intimidating? Don't wilt, sis. Bloom with opulence anyway. Welcome to the Crowned Opulence Podcast with me, Cassandra Alexis. I am a marketing strategist, coach, and consultant, and the CEO of Opulent Outcomes Coaching and Consulting, but you can call me your Chief Empowerment Officer. On Sundays, we talk about the hard, messy, embarrassing, yet necessary things that we don't often talk about enough with each other as Black women. You know, those things we think we're the only ones experiencing, so we don't share them for fear of being judged just like you would at Sunday brunch with your girls. And yes, the mimosas are included on each episode. I'll let you in on a secret. You're not alone. We are our sister's keeper in the crowned opulence society. Then on Wednesdays, we'll talk business and goal crushing. I'll help you get the outcomes that you desire in life and business by showing you how to silence self-doubt, tune out the naysayers, Optimize your assets, own your opulence, and market your value. Sis, it's your time to be unapologetically opulent, and we're here for you. Let's get to it. Hey, lady. As you know, we are taking a brief break to work on season three of the Crowned Opulence podcast. I mentioned that new content will be coming out in the next few weeks. So, Here we are. Over the next few weeks, we are focusing on some key areas and highlighting clips from past episodes that keenly address those topics. Relationships are a key area that impacts us as women. This includes romantic relationships, our friendships, even our relationships with ourselves. As we journey through life, it's important to often reevaluate our views and perspectives as well as our needs, wants, and expectations and our different types of relationships. It's imperative to tune in to the flags that we are seeing and may often dismiss and address them as we see fit, knowing our own value and still owning our shit. Determining what works in our relationships for us and the type of partner that we want, having the courage to be vulnerable, and enforce and set boundaries, understanding the capacity that we have for others while accepting the capacity they have for us. In this episode, we are untangling the complexities of our relationships and redefining them. Let's get to it. Often, life takes us to different places, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. We often hear about navigating long-distance romantic relationships, but what about friendships? Maintaining friendships through the cycles of life are not always the easiest, and like any relationship, there are levels and expectations. We explore all of this as my girls and I discuss friendships. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the That's What Friends Are For episode. I know that all of you guys at some point have talked about wanting to move away. Carla, how has you moving impacted your friendships? So I first moved away in 06, I believe. I I just upped and left because I wanted to prove to myself that I can do it. So when I first left, I left and went to Dallas literally over a weekend. And so no one knew that I was moving until I got there. And then they didn't believe that I actually lived there. They thought I was just visiting. I think because I didn't effectively communicate that I was moving, it was more of some tension because people probably felt like I didn't trust them with the information. Then I up and moved to Little Rock and didn't (laughs) tell anyone. And that was for different circumstances. But I think it kind of tests your friendships on if we're real friends or if we're just associates. Because the distance shouldn't affect, it just means we have to pick up the phone. We can't just go over each other's house on a Wednesday night or we can't just meet up downtown for drinks or whatever. We have to actually plan and catch a flight to see each other. But there's other ways that we can connect and still be close. It will force some associates out and then it'll strengthen some other ones because you have to rely on different means of still being connected to each other. Absolutely. 
I remember when you moved because I was still at home and I admit, I, well, you already know this, but I was butthurt that you left. But more so, not because you left, but I thought I was going to lose my ship. And, you know, having not moved away and still also being significantly younger, it was like, I'm so used to you being right there from college. And even after we graduated, it was like, dang, I feel like I was going to lose you. But to your point, it doesn't change that way. It doesn't have to. Some people will follow off and some people won't. And even though you moved away, then I later on moved, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. <laughs> but it hasn't impacted our friendship. You know, we still talk just as much as we did. We don't hang out as much because it's significantly expensive to do that compared to being in the same city. But it doesn't change that. And I think, you know, the same friends I had at home, I still have now. I have not lost one of my friends that was truly, truly my friends. I've gained new friends. So I have new pockets of friends in each state that I've lived in. And that has its own challenges too, because making friends as an adult is not the same as making friends when you're in your 20s, your teens, et cetera, because people already have their friendship groups established. And now you're trying to get added into that dynamic. So that's one thing that I would say also I've noticed about moving away is it's harder to make friends. And even on me as well, it's harder for me to let people in. I think I have the most amazing friends in the world. And you guys have set the bar very high. So it's kind of like when I meet new people, you guys are the standard to what my friendships get measured against. Because it's like, we've been through so much. I've been friends with you guys since I was a kid. You know, we've grown up together. So it's kind of like, can I trust this person to the same level that I can trust you guys? And it's kind of the measure in which I measure friendships. That's kind of the same as how we can look at sorority life. When we all became members, we were a lot younger versus our relationship with sorority members or the sorority mm -hmm. itself now. The people I came in with in 2002, I'm definitely not going to have the same connection with my sorors that I meet now, like in my grad chapter, but it's a different dynamic. I still consider them family, but maybe more like a, a little bit more distant than my ships or my home chapter or things like that. So the dynamic is just different. My adult relationships I don't have such intense expectations. Like if some if one of my childhood friends betrayed me or we were in conflict, that would affect me a whole lot more than someone I've only been in the relationship, you know, friendship for two years or three years versus 20 years. So how do you guys deal with expectations in your friendships now, being that we all have different circumstances, whether you're married, single, kids, no kids, job, no job, whatever your situation is, how do you manage your expectations with your friendships? I'm going to be honest. I really don't have, like, new friends. I have friends that I didn't have since childhood. So the people I meet now are more like associates. I know that's probably not good on my end. I just rather stick with my old friends. Anybody else I meet, I'm going to be cordial. I'm going to be nice. We can be associates. But it's going to take a lot for you to get over just friends on, so. I'm sure that's not good because I'm sure I probably need more friends because all of my friends moved out of town. To piggyback on what you were saying, there's levels to my friendships, especially the newer ones. I won't let you into certain things or you may find out later on. So you may not be the first person that I call in the middle of a crisis or my life is falling apart and I'm boohooing. Then you have y'all where I will come to, you know, you guys with, life is kicking my ass, whatever, you know, is going on or this problem or what have you. But it's to me, it comes back to that trust. And I'm not the most trusting. I'm a Scorpio. We love hard, but to get that, you have to show that you you deserve it. Because if you hurt me, if you betray me, it's going to cut deep. So I don't give it to everybody. What I expect of you or don't, what I trust you with or don't changes or varies. And some of it may also just come from a connection that you have. Something, you know, allows you to feel comfortable to say, hey, we can click on this level or I can show you this side of me. 
sometimes it's not even about like betraying. Sometimes it's, can I show you the side of me and you not judge me and you get it and you understand, or you may be just as goofy or your lifestyle might mimic mine more than somebody else's. It's difficult and it's ever changing. Something I was talking to my daughter about is the word grace. So as we get further into life, we're all experiencing different things. We might be going through breakups or we might be going through losing close family members or, or what have you. And we may not always be as available in our friendships as we were when we were a lot younger. Mm-hmm. And so what I was teaching my daughter is the word grace in that we need to understand that we don't have as much free time as we had before, but the love doesn't change. We mean well, but sometimes we just have to, instead of maybe when we were younger, we just were super external. And the older we got and how we learn how to deal with some stressors that came with just being an adult, we kind of turn a little bit more inward. And, and some friends can look at that as, well, we don't talk anymore. Why aren't you telling me what's going on? Why aren't you, you know? And so that's that's where that grace comes in, where I'm just, I'm just processing and I'll be back. I'll be back as soon as I can. Since I've moved away, I kind of put myself in this bubble of being alone and dealing with everything by myself because I didn't have the people that were the closest to me to go and talk to. And I started to recognize whether it's my friends or my family, you're not by yourself. That's you doing that to you. Stop. Pick up the phone, call somebody, text somebody just to say hi or to have a conversation. And so there was a point that I actually came to that realization that just because you moved away doesn't mean that you're alone. And actually, Carla, you have helped me to get to that realization because when we were in New Orleans, you were like, you do everything by yourself. You don't let anybody help you. And that has been like more eye-opening to me than you probably have ever realized. So thank you. Piggybacking off the last conversation, we are chatting with my first life coach, Coach Ivy Allen, as she helps us pull back the layers of feminine and masculine energy, understanding the difference between a man, the man, and your man, and how all of this impacts the ability to make your man feel like the king of the castle, the quality, success, and sexual polarity in our relationships. We also get real on some of the programming that we as Black women have to deal with as we journey through these sometimes murky waters. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the Waffles or Spaghetti Brains, Understanding Masculine and Feminine Energies, Part 1. My point is grace and space. I'm not by no means, and she would tell you, by any stretch of the imagination, he is, is this like the perfect guy and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. She gives my lovely, lovely stepfather. He's a delightful man. The space and the grace to be the man, to have the masculine energy, to be a man in their relationship, to be her man is actually better. You know, I make a distinction between a man, the man, mm-hmm. and your man, right? Which is key. It's very key. She allows him to do all three for her. He is a man. She is not his mother. He is the man. He operates in his masculine and she allows that. And he is her man because she receives his protection and provision for her. He gets to be all three for her. That's what's key. And you only can do that from the feminine. If you are in your masculine with your man, it becomes a competition. It becomes a masculine contest. And what then happens is eventually you don't have polarity, sexual polarity, and you just kind of drift away. You need masculine and feminine to have that sexual polarity so you guys stay together, attracted, mm-hmm. wanting each other. Without it, your attraction fades away because there's nothing holding you together. It's a competition. And every man wants to come home and feel like he is the king, not he has to conquer another king in his own castle for the mm-hmm. right to rule in a place where he is supposed to be the king. And I know a lot of women also, I mean, what if you have more earning power? Earning power is not about making him feel like he's the king. You can still make your man feel like the king of his castle, regardless of who brings home the biggest paycheck. It's not about that. And if you make him feel like that, he'll give you all of his paycheck. There are men that work two and three jobs because that's it. I, I think another story I heard recently, the budgetista, if you know her. I do. You know her? She I do. She's been helpful. 
Paul Carrick Brunson, great interview. And she said her husband was very traditional and he decided he wanted to pay all the bills. Meanwhile, she's off making multiple six figures in her business. Mm -hmm. She tells this great story. And she said, and he just told me to put it in the bank. And that's what she did. They have a very good shared vision of how they want to live. And she was able to do that for him. And she said, and so it gave us power to do other things for our family and for our businesses when it was time. She has her business from what she explained has greater earning potential than he does and always has. Not in the beginning, but grew to be so. But she never made him feel like he was not the king of his castle. And they've been married for a long time and it's, it's a great relationship. Something you were talking about just then, I hate this, but I, I see it often. It seems like white women are better at this than we are mm-hmm. about making their man feel like a king. And, you know, we as black women get so upset when a black man especially has made it. Yeah. And then he wants to go and get this white girl instead of us. Mm-hmm. And and there's other things behind that. But what do you think it is about white women that allow them to get this and demonstrate it with their partners more so than we do? I, I think, it, you know, in the United States, as a black woman and a black man, we have a very unique and rich history here, right? Most of it's not a rosy picture, right? <laughs> exactly. We have been systemically, socially, interpersonally, and the foundation of our society has put white people on a pedestal in general, right? In general. That's where the whole supremacy concept comes in. And I'm not talking about swastikas and stuff. I'm talking about there is a programming amongst white culture that is white is right, like regardless of any other precedent. And there are our justice system, our social system, I mean, our interpersonal relationships are set up on that foundation, whether we want to acknowledge that or not. It's, it's mm-hmm. systemic. It's ingrained in us to do it that way. So a piece of that, of course, would extend to white women as being coveted privileged. White men, mm-hmm. every black man wants his white woman, right? The programming includes white women are to be protected, revered, preserved, they're special, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That programming has systemically been handed down. So to some degree, as as people of color, consciously or unconsciously, we, we kind of sort of buy into that because it's a programming. It's not true. We sort of have bought into that. Fast forward, there are some mechanisms that trigger that a little bit. If you're treated like a princess who has every right to believe that every man wants her, will kill mm-hmm. for her, will love her, will give her his entire paycheck. How do you treat men? If that's your context, mm. exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not worried. I don't have to concern myself that John will or won't. Cause if John won't, Derek will. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And Derek will love to have me as his exotic, you know, princess. <laughs> Who's somebody called the snow bunny? <laughs> I've heard that before. Yes. Snow bunny <laughs> will treat me well as his exotic snow bunny, you know, and all of those other things. She has no reason to believe. That's not true of any man. She has been programmed that that is true of any man because in this country, that is how white women have been revered from Mm -hmm. the icon of beauty to who they are as people. It is allowed for a level of softness and vulnerability to be shown, which is very attractive. It's very feminine. It creates that natural space and grace for a man to come in and not save her, but contribute to her, which is what the masculine wants to do, to be a contribution, to protect and provide. And she makes him feel so wonderful about doing it because she expects him to do it because every man does it because I'm a beautiful, beautiful woman who, why not? And my idea of beauty is revered and held up and I am the queen. So what (laughs) man doesn't want all of this? And she believes that and she carries herself like this. And so she commands that And there's a softness about that that is very, very attractive. Meanwhile, sister girl over here is (laughs) equally beautiful, equally smart, equally talented. But you know what her programming is? You got to work harder because you're a woman. You got to work harder because you're black. You got to work harder because black men aren't going to hold it down. They don't command as much earning power as women do. Mm -hmm. Statistically speaking, you're probably going to be a single mother. You're going to have to hold that. Like, oh, that's our programming. So. Mm What, what does that tell you? Who do you have to be in life? Strong, 
mm-hmm. resilient. You don't mm-hmm. take anything. Don't let them see you sweat. You yeah. better not cry. They will break you. Nobody's mm-hmm. going to break me. Nobody's going to break my daughters. Nobody's going to, you know, you, you get all that. By the time you go into workplace, you're like, <laughs> you bring it. I dare you. So, yeah, you, you come into work with this and ready to do battle. That is completely different than I'm going to go into work. They're all going to love me. I'm going to do great work because why not? Mm-hmm. I'm cute. I'm beautiful. I'm pretty. I'm smart. I come from a good family. I've got a good education. It's going to be a fair competition for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how we're programmed. In this conversation, we continue discussing masculine and feminine energy with Coach Ivy Allen as we understand more about communicating with our men, understanding their mentality and how it differs from ours as women. She explains the importance of extending grace to our men and accepting our differences. To listen to this entire conversation, check out The Waffles or Spaghetti Brains, Understanding Masculine and Feminine Energies, Part 2 episode. You were talking about how uh, King Xerxes responded to Esther mm-hmm. and how he gave her what she was asking for. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you and I have talked about before is men, it's coded into their DNA to want to make you happy, to yes. please you. And it almost like does something to their like ego when mm-hmm. they think that they're not. Yes, Absolutely. I think even just having that understanding, because I don't, it was news to me. I don't know how many women know that or realize that in understanding how the masculine works. And you used an example before in a previous conversation that you and I had that men are made to provide. They're made to take care of you, to please you. And we're meant to receive it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's just kind of mind-blowing, and I wanted to share that part. So earlier you talked about the journey that we as women went on to gain our independence, our financial freedom. And so now here we are, 2020, and in a world where you have to balance being seen and heard and respected without being the angry Black woman at work, because now we want equal pay. We want the high paying, the high um, powered positions. We have relationships with our significant others where, as you said, they didn't sign up for us to go on this journey. So oftentimes still our responsibilities to keep the house, take care of the kids, keep a schedule, keep them in line. And then you also have your parents who, as they're aging, having to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And then your husband, your male partner has this expectation of how he wants to be treated and it's kind of like you walk in the house and you flip a switch and he kind of expects you to become this person and how you engage with him how do you do that without becoming bipolar with all these different (laughs) (laughs) like how do you not forget who you're supposed to be <laughs> from one moment to the next with one group of people from the next. How do you manage all that? Especially depending on the type of role that you have. Mm-hmm. If you work in corporate America, that's a very different dynamic and atmosphere. Even just to have your idea heard, forget taken seriously, but just to hear people, to get mm-hmm. people to listen to you. It requires a whole nother level of energy that's very different than the one that your man is expecting you to have at home. Yes. So the short answer is, and and I go over this, one of the tenets I talk about is pay yourself first. And I say this all the time in in my coaching and in my group, pay yourself first. You got to invest in yourself. You got to know what you need. You got to know what you have. You got to know where you are at all. You got to stay connected here in your heart, your mind, your soul. You have to be connected to you at all times. Because if you don't know what you need and what's next for you, it's going to be really hard to feed yourself what you need to be who you need to be for the people that matter to you in your life. So the gift of the feminine is that we have this ability, even how we're, we're wired biologically, this is you know, one of those beautiful faith-based things that I've, the, the universe doesn't make mistakes. We're wired in a particular way to serve in a particular way. It doesn't mean we can't serve in other ways, but we're wired to serve in a particular way. So 
you know, any, I've heard pastors talk about this, psychologists talk about this, sociologists talk about this. Men compartmentalize. They have waffles like for brains and women's brains are like spaghetti. So when men are in the, the work compartment, they are in it. They are committed to whatever it is that they're doing in this work. That's why when you, when they're fixing the sink and you're trying to get them to help you with Johnny and uh, what about paying this bill and 10 minutes later, what do you want for dinner? It's very frustrating to them because what they have committed to in this hour or two hours or however long it takes is I'm going to fix this pipe if it's the last thing I do. And they are on that or watch this game or play with my son or clean up the, whatever it is that they've got in their linear sites, that's where they are and what they're doing. With women, we're like spaghetti. We're like, I'm going to cook and then I'm going to talk to my friend Maple on the phone and then I'm going to get these kids and they're going to clean up their room. And then when I finish that, I'm going to soak my feet and have a pedicure. And then I got three other phone calls to make and I got this little side business I got to start and I got to work on the three deliverables I have for that. And so we're all thinking about how all this can, can fit together because that's how we think. The gift that we have and we can get there a little faster than men because of this intertwining is that we understand because of our connection to human beings and the way we're wired is that everybody's not wired the same. Like we get that. It's how we parent kids. But when it comes to our man, we don't extend that same grace. So we have talked about dating, not always being the easiest thing for many of us Black women. We are committed to finding our Black king, even sometimes to our own detriment. In this conversation, relationship coach, Daydre Horner and I explore interracial dating and the things that may be keeping you from being approached by men of different ethnic backgrounds. And I'm willing to bet it's not what you think it may be. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the Cream in Your Coffee episode. And the thing is, is that femininity has really shifted over time. Mm-hmm. And the idea and the concept of what is feminine has really, really gone through its own transformation. And we understand the women's movement and the women's marches and all of these kinds of things. We've been constantly trying to get paid equally, professional women, black, white, what have you. I mean, white women have the same problems, not being paid equally. Mm-hmm. So there is a real problem with the idea of femininity. And it's a very big topic that you bring up. And so I think that some, some, and not all, because like I told you, I, these sort of antiquated thought thinkers, black men are not really in my life because then again, you know, you attract what you want to see, right? So what I want to see is fabulous black men. So I have fabulous black men in my life. <laughs> and they're great fathers and they have black women as their wives and they're professionals and they're really smart. So I'm used to those black men. <laughs> so that being said, I think also the rest of American culture, since we're dealing with America, they have stepped up where some of our culture has still been in the darkness going, oh, overbearing black women and not feminine or something or whatever that we were mm-hmm. talking Like I told you, I don't really see a lot of that. I've got to ask because I've heard so many black women and even when I was dating, I had the same thought. White men don't approach us. Like so many women I have heard say, well, nobody else approaches me. No one asks me out with Black men. What what gives? If you think no one asks you out except for Black men, then no one will ask you out. And some may say, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did I have that thought or did it, was it happening? Well, I say this. If it wasn't happening, then don't have that thought. White men don't seem to be approaching me. Well, I would like a white man to approach me. I would like a Latino man to approach me. I would like a Filipino man to approach me. I would like that Cuban man to approach me. I thank you. So what you're saying is open your mind up and your heart to receiving love in different ways. You say it. No, what I'm saying is you say it. Oh, actually saying it. And say trust and perpetuate it. Just like the same repeated thoughts that we say that are bad. Ah. Like, I'm getting fat, or, oh my gosh, I'm losing my hair, or, oh my gosh, I did the da, or, oh my gosh, they never have my favorite drink at the store. And yeah, when the same things we perpetuate that are negative. Ah. 
I will get what I want. They will have my favorite smoothie at the store. I will see those shoes on sale. I will see them in six months. (laughs) I love that. You say what you want, not what you don't want. Every time. And and that's or joined in his name. There he is. So you say it with your girlfriend that holds your highest intention too. So I'll say it with you if I want something. If we were best friends, I would say, I'm going to call up Cassandra right now. Hey, can we set some intentions together? Because I'm really, and you only do this with people that you know hold the highest regard for you. Not someone that you just laugh with and gab with, but someone who you know just loves you, loves you, loves you. Holds the, wants the best, best, best. You call that person up and you go, hey, boo, <laughs> will you stand and hold space for me while I tell you something that I really want to happen in my life? And they'll go, yeah, okay, sure, do it. And then you tell them what it is and they will hold intention. And I'm telling you, what happened? You hold intention with people. When we see our relationships going left, often we realize we miss key signs in the beginning. As we sit around and talk to our girls about our relationship woes, we hear them speak about red flags that we missed. We may have even figured them out on our own before. But what really are red flags? Did you know that there were yellow flags too? What happens when you discover them in your relationship with the person you believe is the love of your life? In this conversation, I am talking with Melanie Gross, who is an emotional wellness and mindset coach and an anti-domestic violence speaker and trainer. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the Fairy Tale Love Turned Abusive Nightmare episode. One of the things that, you know, you say, and I think this is true for women, myself included, is that we want to find this fairy tale love. And, you know, the way that you describe your story is you had a fairy tale love that turned into a nightmare. Yeah. Were there signs like along the way that as you look back can say, you know, this was a red flag that led up to some of these things that maybe other women who are in similar situations could tune their minds to. Were there any of those that you can share? Oh, uh, absolutely. When I talk about like the flags of a relationship and I, I got this from another person who mentioned it. It's like the, the green flags, the yellow flags and the red flags. Oh, I like that. So green flags are those healthy relationship flags, right? They can communicate. When you guys have disagreements, you guys can realign, you know, all of that good stuff, whatever, mm-hmm. right? That a lot of times we aren't taught over mm-hmm. that. We aren't taught about healthy relationships, but there's yellow flags that they may not necessarily immediately make you go stop, but they may give you pause. Mm. And sometimes those are the signs, not even the red flags. It's the yellow flags that we often dismiss. So for me, the yellow flags was the fact that like he was adamant about taking me to work and picking me up. And I was thinking it was because I didn't have a car, but I'm very capable of traveling on my own. I'm an Mm -hmm. adult. I can travel on my own. You You did it before you knew him. Right. But he would say like, no, I don't want my baby on, you know, on this, on this bus with those people. And, but it was because he wanted to check up on me. He wanted to know where I was when I, you know, it, it was that. So now I know you're at work and now I know you're off work. And we thinking stuff like that is cute. Oh, he's trying to be protective and look out for me and be a man. Wow. It was criticizing my clothes. That was Mm. a yellow flag. You know, criticizing certain things that I wore. Wanting me to wear other things. He would even, you know, he would buy me certain things that people who knew me years before was like, that's not even Melody's style. But to this person that he wanted me to be, you know? Gotcha. And so it's the yellow flags that I oftentimes feel like we we set aside, you know, it, it may make us feel a certain way in our guts, but we may dismiss it. And sometimes we dismiss it because we're like, for me, I'll speak for myself. For me, I dismiss some of it because I, when I look back, I'm like, I felt like I had all, the, all of these quote unquote failed relationships. Mm hmm. And so I was like, I got to make this work. I got to make this work. I got to make this work. I know he's doing this, but I got to make this work. You know, I know I found him on a dating site or whatever, but I got to make this work. Mm. You feel me? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so those yellow flags turn into red flags when we don't address them. 
And if we can't set boundaries with our partners about a yellow flag or any flag, mm. we can't set boundaries. If we if we can set boundaries and they don't accept them or they dismiss them or they disregard them, it's only going to escalate. We are talking about all things sex with clinical sexologist and relationship coach Tiffany Terry Thomas. In this conversation, we are exploring how we feel about ourselves. We are exploring how we feel about ourselves internally impacts our sex lives with our partners externally. The conditioning that has often been passed down from generation to generation that have taught women that sex is not for our pleasure and enjoyment, but for that of our partners, which is often carried into adulthood by our uneducated family members. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the Let's Talk About Sex episode. In so many areas of your life, often we're the common denominator and we look at other people instead of looking at ourselves. And so to that, I feel like people have either gotten in the best shape of their lives or the worst shape. They've right. either been face to face with those traumas and demons and said, we're going to work through this and we're going to get some healing or those demons and traumas took them out. <laughs> they need to be outlined <laughs> on the ground like this. <laughs> but how much of how you actually view yourself, how much of that really does impact your connection with your partner. Let's say you you actually like your partner, but how much of how much you like you impacts that connection? Funny thing is law of attraction. Think of this. You are what you attract. I think when we first started this conversation, you asked me how I was doing. And mm-hmm. I said, I'm fine now, but I told you the truth. And so if I would have lied and, and then think about I think I was watching some and it said the average person is asked how they are five to 10 times a day and like, Hey, how are you? How are you doing? You know? And the average person lies at least five to eight times. Mm. And so how you feel about yourself goes back to that. Like if you are not telling yourself the truth on a daily basis, that's going to affect your interaction with your partner. Mm Mm-hmm. And because you don't feel that great about yourself. And so what you do is you start to project all those things onto your partner, even though they are a good partner. Working with a couple right now and the lady just had a baby, all this stuff and all these things are going on. And she was just like, my husband is, you know, he doesn't want to be with me. He just, I don't understand why he would want to be with a miserable person, why he would want to be miserable in a relationship. And I said to her, it doesn't sound like he's miserable. It sounds like you're miserable. Mm. I was like, yeah, so it seemed like you're trying to make him and because misery and loves company. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody, this world, we were created for connections and to, and to connect with people. So when we're connecting, we're trying to connect to people that are like-minded with us. And if your mind is in the trash, you're looking for trash friends. Wow. That is very true. So I do think that that is how that impacts our connection sexually with our partner, because then it's, it's just like, if I don't feel good about myself and then me and you go in the bedroom and you're feeling all over me and you're touching me and stuff like that, in my mind, I'm thinking, why does he enjoy doing this when I don't? Mm. Why? And so you got all these things going on in your mind and your other partner's like, I love this. God, look at these breasts. Who these kids? I just want to do this. And I'm, you know, and, da-da-da, and you're like, oh my God, like I'm fat. And da-da-da. you know, yeah. and so those type of things affect you negatively because now you are repressed and you are caged. And as you become caged, you keep going back and back and back and back. And then sooner or later, you're not, you don't exist. Mm-hmm. You're present, but your presence is not there. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine in an instance like that, your partner could be pulling out all types of ch- tricks and anything that he's ever thought of to get you to orgasm, they get you to enjoy it. And you're completely missing out on being pleasured because your head is so much into what's wrong with you. Oh, absolutely. And then take a step further. If your mind is already conditioned that sex is not is for reward and not pleasure, that just takes you totally out the game. And so if you're going into something where like, well, I'm just doing this because I'm his wife or I'm his partner and I'm supposed to do this and, you know, 
it's like every time me and you step in the bed bedroom, it should be like game on, bitches, let's get this, you know. <laughs> but it's not. It's just like oh, he just wants a nut or something like that. And we were conditioned and trained that way by our uneducated mothers, grandmothers, great grandmothers that weren't taught those things. And so it's sad because that then plays a part on depression, low self-esteem, lack of respect for yourself because you're just like, what, what am I, what am I getting out of this? It's no, it's like I'm giving to somebody, but what am I receiving? But you, you only lack the definition of what you're receiving. You know, you lack the meaning and the value of what you're receiving because you don't, you think you're just giving something. Anyone that has been through a divorce will tell you of the negative side of it. Even the best and most pleasant divorces are not fun and enjoyable. However, true growth and healing comes when you can see what you have gained after your divorce. In this conversation, one of my closest friends, Carla Stotts and I, are talking about our experiences of dating after divorce, raising our standards and requirements, as we call out our own ish that needed to be fixed. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the Dating After Divorce episode. As I listen to you talk, one of the things that I hear you say is how your value in yourself increased from your previous marriage to now, that even though these people are different, the constant is Carla and Carla changed. we were saying before how certain things that you wanted in your previous marriage that you thought like, no guy is going to do this. It's like some of those things were still the same, but now it's like, I value myself enough that now I'm going to set this as a requirement just for you to get your foot in the door, not to even walk through the door, but just to stand there and knock. You got to at least be here before we can have a conversation. And I think that's something that we oftentimes minimize is the role that we play in our relationships, what Mm -hmm. we require, what we expect, what we tolerate. That is so important. So you had one of your episodes was talking about being perceived as bougie Mm -hmm. because you have these requirements, because you have these standards. And I related to that so much so, you know, which I wouldn't say anything out loud that I haven't said to you directly. Like, mm-hmm. I perceived you as that in college. Mm-hmm. Cassie was bougie. She just was. But in all fairness, when we were saying it, it had a bit of a negative connotation attached to it. Mm-hmm. It had a little snob t- attached to it. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. That's not fair to you. But in maturing, you realize that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it being bougie. And bougie is not even a, a, a real, real right. word. Requirements. There's absolutely nothing wrong. So you're right. Once I was divorced, there was overlapping in a legal sense because mm-hmm. I could not get the other party to follow through with some legal proceedings. So it delayed the process. But we had not physically seen each other. Our only electronic communication was about finishing out the legal proceedings. So there was some overlapping with my ex to my current, only in a sense of there was still legal proceedings we had to finish out that they just refused. They just were refusing to finish it out. But other than that, there was absolutely no overlapping. There was a time in there where I was with no one. No one could come to my husband and say, well, yeah, well, I was dating Carla a month ago. No, you were not. There was a definitive time frame where anyone new coming into my life would be secure. Mm -hmm. I was not still feeling anything for anyone. It was completely done. And I had to grow the hell up. I was so immature. I was such a victim. But what I was not acknowledging was you play a big part in this. You are so damn immature. You think it's okay to cheat. You think it's okay to talk down to your spouse. You think it's okay to control the household? Like you think these things are okay and then get mad at the other person when they don't step up. Why don't you step back? Mm. And so that was a a total process that I had to go through. Working on yourself and being honest with yourself is a whole nother level of maturity. And to admit 
to yourself, not to anybody else. I'm the cause of some of the things that I want not happening. That is the type of self-awareness that will bring you to your knees. Like, I'm doing this to myself. (laughs) And bring you down on the surface. We have it all together, right? We are college-educated women. We um, are entrepreneurs. We are Fortune 500. Like, we have it all on the surface, have it all together. But when you get in relationship after relationship and they're not working, the common factor is it's you. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you're willing to do, especially after a marriage? Because now we're talking, you took vows, you under God, you paid all this money, you had all these witnesses. What is it that you're willing to do to not repeat the cycle? Mm-hmm. And what you do in that dating phase is so important to not repeat the cycle because we can look back at our marriages very easily and say, this was a red flag. This is a red flag. This is a red Girl. A damn. <laughs> so dating after divorce is how are you going to stop that cycle? Mm-hmm. What is it that you didn't acknowledge that you knew was not right for you that you are not going to have allowed to happen going forward. Now it's up to you to determine what that is. The topic of submission is often misunderstood. And when black women get together to discuss it, you are sure to hear a very colorful conversation. What does it mean? And how does it really show up in a relationship when executed in the manner in which it was meant by God? My BFF, Latoya Lawrence King, My BFF, LaToya Lawrence, and I explore this topic as she shares the changes that she had to make in her mindset and going from totally independent to embracing submission while maintaining her hustle and level of independence, which led to her changing the trajectory of her relationships. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the thinking like a dude could cost you your I do's episode. And so you said something that, whew, it's a dirty word with black women. You said that you've become more submissive. There is so much talk about that. And like you said, it really does often get a negative connotation behind it. And the Bible does talk about it. So the Bible tells husbands to love their wives and the Bible tells wives to respect their husbands. And I think it says a lot that Mm -hmm. it's, and it speaks to the whole position of submission and letting your husband lead because it's that respect that they need. Whereas a woman, we need love. I don't know if you saw it, but last year, Fantasia and her husband did a YouTube video. It talks about submission. And I guess Fantasia said something and she got a lot of backlash. I'm guessing is where it came from. But one of the things that her husband talked about as they described submission in their relationship, her husband describes submission in probably the most beautiful way I've ever heard. And he basically says that it's a gift. And it really is. Because as a woman, it's kind of like a power move. Just like any other tangible gift, you choose who you give it to. You choose how big or how much you choose to give. It's not meant for everybody. You make the choice to give it and to the degree in which you choose to give it to. And we've had other conversations and something that you've used in talking to me is letting go and how I don't have to know everything and be in control of everything all the time. Mm -hmm. And that has been a very big part of my personality. I'm learning. And, you know, it does take time when you've been a certain way. It's letting go. It's not having to be in control of everything. And I will say, since learning and understanding that and bringing that more into my own life, that is a huge weight off of your shoulders. <laughs> I have to figure out how to do everything yourself. It is. <laughs> Even like in the simplest things, and this is so, so simple and basic. As a single person, we all have had that jar that we can't open and there is nobody in the house to open the jar of spaghetti sauce or whatever. And you're doing everything. You're beating it. You're 
yeah. the water, you got the knife, you banging it. <laughs> you about ready just to break the jar. And to know that, you know, you do have a partner who you can just say, babe, can you open the jar? And in yeah. two seconds, the jar is open. <laughs> Something as basic as that, you know. And of course, when it comes to things that are more significant, managing money or different things like that, that can, I'm sure, be a little bit more intimidating. But that also goes back to you don't give this to everybody and trusting the person right. that you give it to in vetting that I need to know that you won't seek my battleship, which is one of my favorite sayings, is knowing that you won't. And I think that's something that uh, women struggle with. I, I think it's important that you said, like, you're not submissive to everybody. I remember when my husband and I, when we met, and we had talked about moving in together. And at this point, he had never in his adulthood lived on his own. Mm. And I told him, I said, well, I need to know that you're able to take care of yourself before mm -hmm. you're able to take care of me. Mm -hmm. And so even to this day, that stuck with him because he's like, I know that she was serious for his big thing is I got to take care of my family. I have mm -hmm. to take care of my family because this is one of her things that she said from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I told him that from the get-go. Like, I need to know that you're able to take care of yourself. And so he had to show me. He's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to show you better than I can tell you. Right. So he did just that in the beginning. But it's kind of like what you said. We're used to leading. We lead things. We're leaders at work. So we're leaders everywhere. So we don't have to be the leader at home. You don't have to be the leader of everything. Mm -hmm. You don't, you know, and it's so it's allowing your partner, your mate, your husband, the, the one that you're with, the one that you are trusting, <laughs> again, the one that should be following God. Because remember, mm -hmm. I said that first is God, you know, and then it's my husband. And then I know that my husband is following what God told him to do. And so then I'm able to follow his lead because God is leading him. Mm -hmm. And doing that, it, it makes it easier to be not in control because, you know, God is the head of all of us, you know, and so I don't have to be control. I don't want to be in control of everything. And so life is just easier not mm -hmm. having to be in control <laughs> of every single thing. Amen to that. You touched on something that really is a key in this, is having that partner that is aligned to God and following God. And I think that helps with letting go. Because if you trust that your significant other is in alignment with God and he's receiving his direction from God, mm -hmm. ultimately, you're not really submitting to your partner. You're more so submitting to God because he's the one that gave the direction. Your partner is just the one that's the conduit of the message, so to speak. But that's the key part of it, is trusting that they are in alignment with God. Relationship coach and clinical sexologist, Tiffany Terry Thomas and I explore hurts and pain and the power that we attach to them and the people that have hurt us. She shares how detaching blame helps us to heal and protect our hearts moving forward. This was one of the realest and most vulnerable conversations we have had on the podcast. We legit cried as we recorded this episode. To listen to this entire conversation, check out the Are You Intimate With Yourself episode. I'll see you next week. We all have had some experiences in our lives that have caused hurt, pain, disappointment, whatever adjective that you want to use. Many times we have said, I ain't ever doing that again because I don't ever want to feel that way again. It's a defense mechanism. It's just like you touch the stove as a kid, you get burned, you don't ever do it again. Okay. Right. But there is a philosophy that you have around being hurt that I'm wondering if you would share. Absolutely. When I said people can physically harm you, mm -hmm. but emotionally, I feel like that is built from where somebody places you and that's where somebody to me uses their power right mm -hmm. where they kind of they're trying to they'll set something up in your mind they'll set up a whole scenery about where you should be in your mind as far as where they should be what you should allow them to do what you should allow yourself to do how you should respond 
what limitations you have on your reaction and you'll believe them. And then you will allow yourself to be hurt because hurt is attached to their power. Mm. And so I have learned to detach blame because a lot of hurtful things have done been hurt to me, done to me. People have hurt my children. And I mean, bad. My marriage has been affected. People have hurt me that are close to me and all throughout my life. But when I was blaming everybody, I didn't realize that the blame only meant that I wanted people to apologize. And then once that apology happened, I wanted retribution. And I, because I didn't know what that retribution looked like, it was never going to end. Hmm. And so there are people that I do want an apology from and they've given like that has happened and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I don't mind giving an apology. If a person needs an apology for them to move forward in life, I'm handing them out like water bottles. Okay? <laughs> here you get one, here you get one, here you get one, you know? Cause if I did something, most of the time it was never to intentionally hurt you. Detaching blame helped me get through that. And then what I did was because when you detach something, right? You, you give something away, you're, now you're expecting. And what I did was I attached God's will and God's purpose onto everything. That's very mature. And it takes a lot because I had to look at things and I said, okay, God, I know that you don't hurt or harm people. And he shared things with me, like me going through what I'm going through with one of my children. Not me being upset that it happened to them, but me also being knowing like, well, where were you, God? And I asked him that. And he said, I was right there with her, but I wept the entire time it happened. And that there was like, (sighs) because I'm like, well, I wasn't there to protect her. And he said, and then I buried something so deep in her. And I was like, that was his will. And that was his purpose. And I remember that that's me. There was something buried. And all I had to do was go find it. That's all I had to do. I just, I had to get all my, and this is my book of discovery stuff and go find it. And when I found it, I'm sharing it with the world. I was like, I was not ready for us to be shedding tears on this episode, man. (laughs) I say this in the book. I said, you know, people will try to tear down the Bible, right? And God. But it's the one book that has produced so much fruit. Mm. And it's so funny. You have lots of books that will say it's bad. But how many books do you know that are written on the devil? Mm -hmm. And so attaching his will and his purpose to when people hurt me. Because I also know they know not what they are doing because they have no idea how hard I'm coming for them. And I'm not coming for them in a way of I'm going to harm you. I'm going to make sure that you no longer do this to anybody, including me. And I'm going to make sure that all these people that you did do, that their souls are not lost, that you didn't steal anything from like like you thought you did. And when he shared that with me, If I could be very honest, I cussed the devil out. And I said, you mess with the wrong one, my nigga. (laughs) Mm. I said, I'm coming so hard for you. I said, every person, every person. Mm. You hurt the wrong person. Mm. So when people hurt me, there's a process. I went through a lot this summer, last summer, crying and stuff. And like, why are you doing this to me? I remember God telling me taking all these people away because you, you forgot how to depend on me and I was like okay <laughs> you're right and he said and some are going just away for a little bit because what I'm about to put you through I need everybody including you to be strong thank you so much for listening to this episode of the crowned opulence podcast let's keep the conversation going on social media join the opulent outcomes society facebook group Follow me on social media at the Cassandra Alexis on Facebook and Instagram. Visit CassandraAlexis.com for more information. Did this episode resonate with you? Take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your IG stories, and tag me at the Cassandra Alexis. I will be sure to give you a shout out in a future episode. Are you loving the show? Leave a five-star rating and review. It helps the show and helps other women find and connect with us. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free so you don't miss an episode. Remember, you aren't everyone's glass of champagne and everyone isn't yours. 
only a select few are privileged to enjoy you.